Welcome to One City Podcast. Today, Pastors Chris and Karen Conley will take a deeper dive into this week's message and teach us to apply the truth of God's Word in our lives. Hey everyone, this is Karen and Chris Conley, and we are here having our conversation over this brand new teaching series that we are doing at One City Church this summer. It is called I Am With You. The Promise of a Better Tomorrow, and it is a study through the book of Haggai. And we're so glad that you're here to join us for this conversation uh, in an imperfect world. We are doing this imperfectly, so this is actually a conversation um, for both um, week one and week two of this brand new series. And so hopefully you've had a chance to listen to both of those messages. And Chris, as we kind of start and build this framework of this entire series, that's really what the week one message was, was kind of setting the stage of Haggai. And then in week two, you really kind of leaned into the the first of five different messages. So as we start out today, you know, I'm the woman that when we used to have blockbusters, I like to start at the beginning and then make my way around, kind of um, set the stage for us as we think about this series in general. Yeah, so the, the context that I laid for week one was that the Jews were in exile for 70 years in Babylon. And then God, um, through King Cyrus, issues a decree, you know, for them to return, and about 50,000 Jews return, and uh, there to rebuild the temple. And so um, as they come to rebuild the temple, they get started. Zerubbabel uh, lays the foundation. And then after laying the foundation, there's some resistance from the Samaritans, and uh, then there's some indifference among the Jews. And now the temple um, really uh, goes dormant. Um, there's no construction for 16 years. And so that leads God uh, to speak to Haggai. Uh, and he kind of gives five overarching themes in this book. And the first one is consider your ways. And we'll dive into that a little bit in more depth here in this conversation. But then second, he tells them, build the house. And then third, I am with you, which is one of the greatest phrases throughout all of scripture, one of the greatest promises that we have today. And then number four, he says, work for I am with you. And so we have to co-labor with God. Um, You know, God doesn't just do everything for us. Uh, He gives us the privilege of working through us. And then number five, he says, I will make you like a signet ring. Well, Chris, even as I look at these kind of five primary themes and messages, um, it's so, in so many ways, I think about it and I'm like, ooh, like the build the house, like that's a challenging one. Ooh, the I'm with you, that's an encouraging one. The work, that's a like call you up. That that as I think about this series that we're just heading into, and, and I, in my priority time, just um, finished John, and so I went to an Old Testament book, so I'm starting in Haggai, and so as I've been processing this in my own priority time, um, I just feel like this book, the way that it unfolds, is such a picture of the Father, and such a picture of there are some strong truths that you need to hear, There's some, but in a loving way, and so I'm looking forward to seeing how all of this unpacks. And as you came in this this second message and really kind of um, expounded on the consider your ways, um, there's obviously the historical context. And then really the, the, the point of this conversation is to help people 
take the historical context, understand it, but also move it from information to application. Move it to why does God have me listening to this message today? How does this timeless truth apply to me? And so as we think about this overarching theme of consider your ways, what would you say to those that are listening to this? And how did you in your own devotional time process this particular question or I guess, statement, instruction to consider your ways? Well, in many ways, it's it's the only way we know where we are. You know, we have to kind of say, you know, you are here on the map, right? And uh, if we're taking a trip, you know, we need to know what the mile markers are. And so, you know, when he says consider your ways, it's it's, you know, understand where you are, but not just from your perspective. Consider your ways from my perspective. Consider your ways in light of who I've called you to be and what I've called you to do. And so the plumb line that we are supposed to measure ourselves against is not just one another, but our identity in Christ and then the mission that we have in Christ. And so a lot of times when we consider our ways, um, we give ourselves a lot of uh, flexibility we give ourselves a lot of, you know, margin because we consider our ways in a comparison way. And we go, well, you know, I'm doing better than so-and-so at least, or I'm not quite doing as good as this person. But, you know, as a whole, I mean, I'm a pretty good person and, you know, I believe in God and, and you know, my heart's in the right place. But if you were in a coaching relationship, kind of like in sports, coaches have this uh, unique ability to kind of speak really honest truth, sometimes brutal, brutal truth to you, you know, because they know if they don't point out, you know, where you're missing the mark, where you aren't mastering the fundamentals, so to speak, in sports, then they know there's going to be a breakdown somewhere. And they know that, you know, in the crunch of the game, the prime time moments, then you won't be able to perform. And so you have to consider your ways to know where you are in order to know where you're going. Mm, I love that visual. Um, I just think about, you know, in the olden days when they had malls, indoor malls, and you had the map, and the you are here. Um, that is a starting place for all of us. And Chris, as you were talking about, you know, the historical context, you said that they came back, they were instructed to lay the foundation, they came against resistance, and then indifference. And even as you said those, I don't know if you said those on Sunday or not, but as you said those two... Weren't you there? I was there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I didn't... I don't have that in my notes. or I don't even have my notes open right now. I'm writing my new notes while we're talking right now. But as you were just saying that a minute ago, I was like, I mean, isn't that so universal? Like, resistance and indifference. That, like, as you think about both of those dynamics, there's some people right now... As, as, as you say, okay, consider your ways, and you're trying to figure out where you are on the map, they are coming up against resistance. What would you say, if thinking in the context of Haggai, thinking in the context of this passage and teaching through it, what would you say to that person that is maybe stepping back for the first time right now, and, and what you said about not from your perspective, from God's perspective, that's a paradigm shift to say, okay, God, Help me see my life from your eyes. 
And if they are experiencing resistance, what would you say to them in terms of a truth and an application from this message? Very simple. Stop expecting life without resistance. Mm. You know, I mean... That was not very sympathetic. (laughs) (laughs) There's... uh, You will have trouble in this world. And uh, there is resistance against uh, God's will and against him establishing his kingdom. Uh, there is, you know, an enemy. And then besides the fact that there's an enemy, there's also just people who, whether they realize it or not, um, just, you know, the very nature that if we aren't living for Christ, then we are going to live a selfish life. And a selfish life is going to work against uh, the ways of God, the, the kingdom of God. And, and, and so I, I would say stop expecting a life without resistance. Um, that's just naive. It's just simply not true. And so embrace that there is resistance in this world and then ask God to help you overcome that resistance. You know, it's like, um, I'd rather fight the good fight than the wrong fight. And um, it's all a fight. We're going to fight a fight. So let's fight the good fight. Mm. So as you're, I'm just sitting here thinking, like, honestly, when I think back of just my own journey and just ministry examples, I feel like indifference is almost more dangerous than resistance. Um, That if you're somebody who's experiencing resistance right now, it doesn't feel good by its very definition. Something is pushing up against you. But you at least have this notion that there's something at play, that like you better get in your stance, you better be prepared. You're either on, you either, you're probably on defense, um, but you might need to switch to offense. You're alert. Whereas with indifference, it's almost just like you're just going through the motions. Um, and so in that context, it, it's hard if you're indifferent that you're because you're kind of numbed out, you're not really. How do you help someone who right now maybe doesn't even see that that's their that's a battle they need to fight? Yeah, I mean that's where I would say, you know, people always have substitutes, and rarely is there a person who's indifferent about everything in life. Okay, yes, there are times someone gets discouraged. There are times that someone just has you know, uh, a battle with depression or something, and it's hard for them to find something they really care about. But most people have something they really care about. Most people have something that they're passionate about, whether that should be their passion or not, they are. I mean, there's people that absolutely are passionate about their sports teams, or they're passionate about whatever their hobbies are, you know, if they're a hunter or a fisherman or, or whatever it might be. And I would just say that just proves that you're not an indifferent person. And it just proves that you actually do want to care about something deeply. And I would just say that um, passion really is something that should be really, in many ways, emotion that is first and foremost reserved for God. And then we become passionate about the things that God is passionate about. And so don't give yourself permission to be indifferent toward one of the things that you should be passionate about. And we should be passionate about God. And then we should say, what does he care about the most? And I should care about those things. So, Chris, um, I want to, for a moment, go back to maybe what I would guess, and, and you studied this passage way more than I did, but when I think about this first consider your ways, and I look at verses 6 um, 
I guess maybe verse six is really kind of the, mm-hmm. the meat of it right there. I want to just read this. And then if you could help us really talk about the modern day translation of this and where, where people sometimes get stuck and, and how we can help them not be stuck. But it says this, um, so in verse 5, again, I'm in Haggai 1, verse 5, it says, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. And then this is what follows. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. So, Chris, um, you know, obviously that's we're not in harvesting season. um, And we, you know, that's that is a context there. But bring us it's all so relevant to who we are, where we are as people in 2022. When you read that, what what are the things that stir in your heart to help people take it from that historical place to apply it to their life today? Yeah, so you have sown much, but you harvest little. Well, in that day and time, there weren't grocery stores. So in a very real sense, everyone was a farmer. You know, I mean, that was your source of food. And so he's speaking a primary language. It's your work. I mean, it, it is what you do day in, day out to provide for yourself. And, and so many of us have been in seasons of life where it feels like at work we're on a treadmill. It feels like we are running and they keep increasing the speed and they keep increasing the incline and yet it doesn't feel like we're getting anywhere. And so we're working harder, not necessarily smarter. Well, there are times that when we just work for ourselves, and we don't understand what it means to truly seek first his kingdom in his righteousness, but yet we allow work to be about seeking our kingdom and we build our kingdom before we build his kingdom, then it's hard for God to bless that. And so we don't get the results that God promises. God talks about a harvest, and he talks about that when the seed falls on good soil, then you will produce a harvest that is sometimes a hundredfold, some 60-fold, some 30 in their day and time, the best they could have imagined was a tenfold harvest. And so when we apply the law of the harvest to our lives, we reap what we sow, but we also reap after we sow, and then we reap more than we sow. And so there are ways that you partner with God. When you do God's work God's way, then you receive God's blessing, God's favor upon that work. And then there are times that you see God orchestrate events that give you favor, that advance you, that bless you, where God does open the floodgates of heaven upon us. And he orchestrates things to advance people who have been good stewards. But if your stewardship is more about you instead of about him, then he doesn't bless that. Chris, I just, um, in the different places that we walk, and I I even think back to one of my good friends, and this was probably a decade ago, and she had everything that you would want. Um, She wasn't, 
they were very comfortable. Her husband was a doctor, so they had resources, but she was also very driven, very successful, had multiple degrees. And I remember her making the comment that she had put her ladder up against the wrong building. She had climbed the ladder of success and got to the top and realized the ladder was up against the wrong building. And I just, I I would love, I don't know how, but that is one of the gifts that I feel like God gave me early, early in my career. Um, And now for us, we do vocational ministry, but I think it's for anybody It doesn't, God, we need people in every sector of our community and our country, but there's something in that shift to say, it doesn't matter what you're doing. Are you doing it for his glory? Are you doing it in a way that he can bless? And that there's something just in that shift of how you look at how you're living that makes all the difference of the world. And you don't want to get to the end of the story and realize all this striving All this work was for nothing, even if it means a lot of money. How many people we know with money that are miserable, that have missed God's purpose? So as you think about this in that context, is there anything that you would add um, to that that context of what God's saying here in Haggai? Well, you're reading a little bit different translation that I'm reading, but I'll, I'm going to restate it. And it says this at the very end, it says that, uh, he who earns earns wages to put into a purse with holes. And one of the things that I've seen, and, and, and I think even in my own family of origin with my parents is there were times that they would make more and more money. But because, again, there were things that weren't in alignment with putting God first, there were more and more problems. And problems typically cost a lot of money. And so regardless of how much money they made, the problems kept keeping up with the money, and then the money kept disappearing. It wasn't like there was an accumulation of money because really there was an accumulation of problems. And then... You weren't just spending your money. Sometimes, yes, maybe you you know make the mistake of just spending your money on things that are all pleasure-oriented. But honestly, there's times that if you aren't seeking first his kingdom, it's either, yeah, sometimes you know pleasure can take you down, but other times it's just the problems that accumulate that act as kind of the holes in the purse that it just, you keep making more, but it keeps ending up on the, empty side of the equation. Well, and I feel like, you know, I, I think I text this to you Sunday morning before the service. Um, one of the things that I'm always cognizant of is like, you know, listening to a, a truth through the eyes of a skeptic and thinking, okay, you know, really, if we put this passage in its context, God is talking about people choosing to bless themselves and their personal homes and their personal provision and neglecting God's house. Obviously, currently at One City, we're in the process of building our home. And so it's, you know, I'm like, I don't want people to think that this is, you know, all about the, the facility that we're doing. And even if you didn't obey this in the context of one city, it is still a principle that we would tell you to obey somebody else, somewhere else if you don't want to apply it here. But Chris, speak to this part like this is really God speaking this word in contrast to 
you're not doing my work and you're just worried about yourself. Yeah, he would just, it's just, I mean, honestly, when he says things like that, uh, it's just an expression of love. He's just saying um, your priority is a little bit out of order. And um, when that's your priority, um, it's the wrong priority. And I'm trying to correct you to have the right priority so that you're blessable. And everyone wants a blessing, but not everyone's blessable. And, you know, blessings, um, there are times that, yes, just out of the grace of God, the, the, you know, the undeserved kindness of God, that he blesses people to get their attention. He blesses people to open their eyes. He blesses their people, people to reveal who he is. But when we are believers and, you know, our life really has a stewardship quality about it, that we should be good stewards of everything that he has given us, then, you know, the concept that I talked about is frequently we ask God. Now, this is accidental. No one intends to do this. But we frequently ask God to bless our disobedience. And, you know, um, you go, well, what do you really mean by that? Well, there's all kinds of verses where, like in Psalm 37, 4, it says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And I've been guilty of this a thousand times, right? I mean, where I get excited about that verse, and I think about the desires of my heart, and I start praying about everything that I want God to do for me. And I forget what it really means to delight myself in the Lord. I just focused on the desires of my heart. And so in that way, I'm really asking God to bless my disobedience, that I'm really turning the verse into something that's selfish. Whereas he really wants to be an incredibly good father who gives good gifts to his children. And he's saying the best way for you to be blessed is to stay in alignment with what I have designed to be good. And when you stay in the safety zone of my goodness, then uh, you're very blessable. And then when you receive a blessing and you are in alignment with who he is and his kingdom and his ways and his priorities, then that blessing doesn't stop with you. You then take that blessing and you bless others with it. And so you become a conduit. You have received the blessing but not only have you received the blessing, now you become a blesser yourself. And in that way, you become like Christ. You know, Chris, uh, the, the image that I always get in this context is like a big umbrella. And I, I mean, I feel like with our kids that I have um, said this a thousand times, like you want to stay under the protection of God's umbrella. When you start stepping to the left or to the right, all of a sudden you're going to get hit by rain and whatever else is coming down. But so maybe as we wrap up today's podcast and you think about this, consider your ways to ask the Lord to take some time to be intentional and ask him, Lord, show me what you see. And it's amazing how many times the Lord, that if we just take one step back under that umbrella, what a big difference that makes. Sometimes it feels like, oh, everything's out of whack and I don't know that I can do. That just feels overwhelming. Like just what is that first step that you need to take? What is one area that you can go, you know what, Lord, I've been doing it my way, not your way. I'm going to I'm gonna bring that back under the umbrella. And the way that it can, God just blesses and honors even that first step. 
So today, Chris, as we're wrapping up this particular podcast, um, any last words that you would say to encourage people as we will look forward to the rest of the series? Well, this is the way that I ended Sunday's message, but there are certain verses we just need to hear again and again and again uh, in order for us to capture the magnitude of it and really allow it to um, be activated in our life. In Deuteronomy 28, I'm just going to read verses 1 and 2. It says, Now it shall be, if you diligently obey. And uh, that word diligently needs to be applied to our obedience. Um, please, please um, omit the word conveniently obey and replace it with diligently obey. If you diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments, which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. All of these blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord your God. And so we invite you to consider your ways so that you bring your ways into alignment with his ways so that the blessings of God will overtake you and all those that you love. All right, we'll tune in next time. It was great to be with you and have a great week. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's message, share it with a friend and be sure to subscribe to this channel so you don't miss a single episode. Join our movement and help us to prove that love works. You can give towards our mission at onecitymemphis.org.